Welcome everybody to this Ocean Life podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peterson. Thanks for being here. As always, a quick reminder, the Stokes Grom story is a little off mini offshoot podcast with basically detailing, you know, the ocean lives of Groms and kids. It's starting to keep moving. I would if you have a Grom, you have a kid that you know who likes to spend time in the water, want to share what they're up to, doesn't matter anywhere in the world, I'd love to get them on. If you got somebody like that, you mind, uh, hit me up, josh at thisoceanlife.tme. Shoot me an email. Thanks. Now, getting down to business here. In our 50th episode, it's very fitting to have one of my favorite legends in the board paddling world on to share, Mick DeBetta. Now, Mick takes us through his amazing life of growing up in the waters of the Gold Coast of Australia with heavy focus on surf life-saving, surfing, and competitive sports. We hear of Mick developing a strong connection with the Hawaiian Ocean community, creating his very first paddling training program and winning the inaugural Molokai to Oahu M2O race way back in 1997. Now, Mick also shares his perspective on the first time in that race in the Kaivi Channel, paddling that water, and then paddling in M2O event for over 22 years since, while also training many of the top competitors. We get some great insight into Mick's approach to performance training and the impact he's made to SUP board design, plus so much more from this board paddling legend. We're sponsored by Shearwater Paddleboards, a family-owned company that handcrafts prone paddleboards and surfboards up here in rugged Northern California. Check them out, shearwaterpaddleboards.com. Now, hope everybody's getting out in the ocean and doing something great for each other and the water. With that, let's get into the ocean life of Mick DeBetta. Hey, Mick. Uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for uh, giving me the opportunity, Josh. Yeah, I'm really excited, man. You know, one of the, like we all, I was thinking about this actually, like we all, or so many of us wear kind of different hats, you know, in the ocean, you know, paddling or surfing or diving or, you know, on the, on the ski. Uh, there's so many different hats. And uh, one of the hats I have is, you know, paddling, prone paddling. And within, when you wear that hat or you're doing that activity at a race or you're focusing on it, there's, you know, certain folks you bump into or, you know, um, in, in that, in that space. And you, you're one of those, Mick, where, um, I've always wanted to have a chat with you, man. So I'm really excited about today. Oh, I am too, Josh. And, uh, what you say is, um, you know, just doing some emails this morning and they're mostly from California and different parts with training programs and stuff. And yeah, I think with paddling or anything on the ocean, you know, it's like we're not really divided by the land or the distance, but we're really connected by the um, by the ocean. And I think that's something that's lifelong lasting, you know, friendship yeah. and just just everyone has the same sort of, uh, you know, mindset. Yeah, 100 percent, man. That's like why I have so much fun just, you know, having these conversations is because there is that kind of unifying factor. It doesn't matter if like maybe, you know, you're a, a, a free diver that dives 300 feet or you're a paddler or whatever. It's like everybody's got that in common, you know, so it is really quite fun and special, you know? Yeah, for sure. I agree. So, you know, I'll be honest with you too, man. I had a really hard time figuring out where to start with you, Mick, because there's so many pretty, in my mind, um, and I know you're super humble, but in my mind, a lot of epic things you've done in, in, in your past and are doing today. But I had to pick one just for us to get going and I can shut up and people can stop hearing me blab. But um, let's go back to 1997, man, because one of the themes I've had on the show and also I'll just go back to like my own prone paddling kind of roots of, you know, Molokai to Wahoo, legendary paddleboard race. It's the, you know, unofficial world championships. And you were not only at the inaugural event 
and I believe, but you also won it right on the prone board. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. And you know, I look back on that day as being very very uh, fortunate to actually be invited and to be there. And uh, yeah, it's a very uh, very special day for me. Yeah, man. So take us back then, if you would, because what I'm guessing, not having been there in '97, like I'm just guessing it was a lot more raw and more challenging even than today in terms of logistics and boats and all that stuff. So take us back to 97. How did you get the invite? What were you up to at the time? And take us through that, you know, that first race. Yeah, well, it, it, it is a, a really um, great story, actually. I was going to Hawaii for a few years with the uh, lifeguard competition, and I, that's when I really fell in love with downwind paddling, and the Hawaiians on, on the North Shore took me in, and um, – one of my great friends, one of the greatest uh, Hawaiian paddlers, Dawson Jones, said, oh, Mick, you come back next year. He goes, I'll get my dad's boat and we'll go out to this island, Molokai, and we'll paddle back. It's about 32 miles and it's really rough and it's wow. unreal. I went, sounds awesome. And um, so I went home, as I did uh, for a few years previous to that, and about, uh, I think it was like around Christmas time, he called me. He said, oh, Quicksilver and Mike Takahashi and Garrett McNamara are going to make it a race. Oh. And it's going to be end of July, so you're going to have to come, you know, then. And I went, oh, okay. And I just went to town trying to work out how to train for this race, you know. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah get as much information from my friends that I'd gathered over the five years that I'd been going there. And, um, yeah, we went there, and sure enough, it was 30 of us. And the ocean boats, or actually my boat didn't make it over from Oahu because the seas were so <laughs> rough. Oh, man. And, yeah, it was just an epic um, an epic adventure. And, you know, we didn't have water bottles on our boards. We didn't have <laughs> you know, – I didn't have anything, actually. I Actually, I, a, a few of the Southern Californian guys, Tim Ritter and a few of those guys, took a collection and they all – handed me off different gels and stuff like that. So had all the stuff taped on the board. It was like a candy bar shop and yeah, yeah it went across. It was, it was, it was, uh, I think they was like calling it 15 foot seas. Oh, wow. It was a pretty epic, epic, uh, day on the ocean. That's for sure. Yeah. So what'd you do? So your boat and, you know, folks listen who, you know, everybody's either seen it or heard. That's how incredibly insane that water can be. And for, for, a local boat to not be able to make it across from Oahu saying something, right? That the seas were, <laughs> it was pretty turned up. And so your boat didn't make it over. So did you double up with somebody else? Or did you find one on, on the island of, on Molokai? Yeah. So what happened was, um, cause, uh, Mike, Mike Takahashi, he actually allowed, we had a friend there and he went on the, um, media boat and he said, you know, I'll go do the best you can. If you can keep up, you know, we'll, you know, we'll throw you water and stuff from that. So uh, one of the fellas from the surf club here, an elder gentleman, came with us. And, yeah, he was on the media boat. So I basically followed the media boat. And I had Dawson on my left and uh, Buzzy Kerbox on my right. And I thought, well, oh. I would just to what that pace they were doing and basically keep an eye on them guys to see which way to go. And as it turned out, it was me and Dawson to the end. And, yeah, it was pretty – like I still think about it today when we, you know, my wife was jumping in last last year in the channel and you know it's like a missed two strokes for a change of the border bottle, but yeah. we were like sitting up and like trying to gather the board bottle into the board and you know I remember clearly one time I got back on my board and started paddling and they're all waving at me 
And I'm going, oh, I must be going all right. And they just kept waving at me, waving at me. And I'm going, I ended up, I was actually paddling the wrong way. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so did you guys battle all the way to the finish line? For the, we for we the- battled all the way to the finish line. There's, uh, wow. I still have a couple of photos that were taken, I think, from like the Dawson's boat or someone's boat. And, yeah, we were like pretty much 100, 100 yards apart and heading towards the walls at um, yeah. at, um off there. So it was a, it was a pretty and, and a lot of the battles over the twenty you know, the winners the first and second have always you'll notice there's about a two minute gap. Yeah. You know, Amy won his ten and yeah, it's funny. It's and I think ours was around two minutes as well. So it's 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 a funny, funny old channel of water, that's for sure. Oh yeah, man. It changes, you know, hour by hour, you know that. Tertia year yeah. by year. So do you remember what your time was? For that one? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, and you know, you know, obviously we we're paddling. I probably reckon I could paddle faster now, yeah. but it was five twenty-one. Dang, that's and, still really fast. Yeah, like I, you know, if someone said to me I'm going to do five twenty-one this year, I'd be stoked. And um, yeah, you can never pick it. Yeah, I think uh, the water, the channel, and the currents and stuff like that is the last word for sure. Yeah. So, so what? I, so you were. If we rewind this, you were already planned to go do that with you with your buddy on on Oahu. You guys were just going to grab a boat he knew and go do it together, just as a fun, gnarly thing to do. The race popped up, and so you ended up doing it for the race. But you hadn't paddled that water before, and you were relatively new. You said to kind of downwind. I mean, last few years you spent there. So, what was your kind of? I don't know if you remember back. your impression of the Molokai Channel, that water, that first time you paddled it, what was it? Was it? What was it like for you? Yeah, well, it's it's really scarred in my memory, and I think there's a couple of I still remember a couple of quotes that I made, and and I sort of basically that day devoted my sort of uh, paddling to the channel, huh. and I said, you know, I was going to at that time I was coaching a lot of the best Ironman and paddlers in Australia, and. Um, I said, oh, I'm going to bring them, you know, all these kids over, you know, and I brought this guy over, Jamie Mitchell. He won it a few times, and <laughs> I brought plenty of guys and girls over from that day, and it was just etched in my memory. And, and so I guess why I still keep turning up is the people that I coach, but also just to be there on that day when it when the ocean comes alive like it did in 1997. It's just something special for you. I mean, how did you find it, like, as somebody who was, you know, probably top of your game, at the, you, you know, even to be able to consider to do that race, you're, you know, in good shape, you're paddling a bunch, but the water itself, I mean, was it, were you, the downwind aspect, the kind of cross chop, then the China wall reverberation, you know, was it, but you had ever paddled water like that before that first, first race? Oh, I don't think I've ever paddled water like that since. <laughs> yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was big. Like I remember clearly some things, you know, that like, the boat was um, at one stage was behind me towards the end there, and I was quite tired and delirious and stuff. And I was getting annoyed with the boat being behind me, and I just saw, heard this like a wave, you know, like a, I thought it was the bow of the um, the boat pushing the water. Yeah. And it, the boat was white, and I looked around, and it wasn't the boat; it was white water. Oh, Probably like eight, eight feet of white water just coming. <laughs> just hugged my board and rolled around and. And this is like, you know, 10 miles out into the channel. And oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really – it's never been like that in, since I've done it. And I know a lot of the outriggers and surf ski guys have never seen it like that again. But, wow. you know, it'll obviously come around again one day. Yeah. 
Oh, that's pretty amazing though that that the first event, the first time you you did it, which is and you've done a ton of times since. Like it was, as you say, one of probably the gnarliest it's been. And yeah, it'll get back to being gnarly again. But that's an interesting way for you to cut your teeth on that channel. You know, I mean, I remember did it, and it was, you and I crossed paths uh, on Molokai in I think it was 2011 at Pete Sterling's house uh, before yep. the event, and uh, and that was a, I think a good course that year. But for somebody who hadn't done it, me. I was like, whoa, this is so hectic and gnarly. Just listening to what you're saying about like eight foot white water and you hear those stories, like that's a pretty, pretty intense way to cut your teeth on, on Molokai Channel. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's why it's such a special race, you know, and it has been opened up from like 30 paddlers to like 200 these days. And yep. yeah, some, you know, it's, it's, it's a lifetime experience. I know a lot of people that, um, email me and stuff about training programs and ask me what to, you know, how to train for it. And But oh, I live in the flat water and all that sort of stuff. Well, we, we pretty much do as well. But, yeah, it's just you got to get your head around 32 miles and, and then, you know, the equivalent of 40 miles really. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, indeed, man. So you mentioned you had a – you spent quite a bit of time, you know, on Oahu, maybe other other islands in the sort of the, the, the surf life-saving, you know, uh, world. So talk about that, you know, at that time but also now today and, and what kind of that connection that you have with Hawaii in the, in the you know, in the lifeguard realm. What – how'd that start and, you know, how, what does that mean to you, you know, today? Yeah, 1990 was the year they had um – uh, international lifeguard challenge team from Australia, Japan, Hawaii, California, Ooh, maybe maybe even Canada. Anyway, they had this production thing and they videoed it and it went on for a few years and I was um, fortunate enough to make that team in 1990 and went there and it was the same time I was actually coaching some of the Uncle Toby's Ironman, which is a big professional mm. Ironman series here, yep. and they were having a race in Waikiki. Uh, yeah. So I stayed on to uh, sort of watch the race and, and be with the guys there. So it gave me about three weeks in Hawaii. And from the lifeguard international thing, I got really good friends with some of the lifeguards there. And um, they basically, yeah, I went and stayed on the North Shore with uh, a couple of the guys uh, there, Rick Williams and Dave Yester, and got and yeah. Um, yeah, got to meet all the guys, did a couple of paddles with them. And, yeah, they were really, really um, taking me in and as right now today, you know, I get messages from them and they're, they're my lifelong friends. So I just basically have great friends there and I just want to go visit them every year. So the paddling thing is my passion, but you know, it's your friends that you meet and, uh, keeps you coming back. And yeah, we've, I've got, you know, lifelong friends yeah. that have come on, you know, and yeah, we have some awesome, awesome, uh, watermen that have come from the North shore that are just so aspiring to, to keep me coming back, you know? Yeah, that's cool, man. So when you were out there at that time, were you also like working towers and actually helping the lifeguard or were you just hanging out and just being in the community with all those guys? Yeah, when I was there, I was just, um, that year, 1990, I was just there after the lifeguard thing. I just stayed on and uh, got to stay on the North Shore. And then I, the next year actually was a quite an um, interesting year. I came back and did the jet ski lifeguard course with uh, Terry Aoui and Brian Kaolana. Oh, cool. And, um, and that was really beneficial, not just for me, but I brought it back here to the um, Gold Coast, and that was pretty much the start of um, lifeguard jet ski rescuing, and those guys were the innovators, and yeah. you know, fortunate that I did the course and 
um, brought it back here, and yeah, it's pretty much, you know, jet ski. Jet ski rescue is probably the one of the main instruments in lifeguarding all around the world now due to those guys you know oh that's cool man you're yeah and you're there with them that's that's way cool and you brought that back so then kind of going back i guess then back to gold coast you know so maybe even rewind all the way man and give us like where you grew up and how you got so heavily how you got to the point where you or training other people how to be, you know, uh, in surf life-saving and the Ironman and paddling and everything. So take us back to to growing up as a Grom and everything. Where, where was that? What were you What were you up to? So, you know, like, you know, once again, you just you're fortunate by your parents. And uh, we actually lived in Brisbane, which is uh, like 70 kilometers to the north of the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. And we'd come down every weekend. And uh, in the Surf Life Saving Club, my dad was the president of the Burley Heads uh, Surf Club, and. Yeah. Yeah, just I, I remember that you know on the beaches, this four-year-old standing behind the little decal that said four and five and six, and mm-hmm. yeah, just started and we just came down every weekend and caravaned in the park right next to the surf club, and it was yeah, it was I didn't really know anything different, you know, so yeah. we'd come down there and I guess surfing, you know, I was pretty um, you know happy to be surfing out of Burley Point, one of the best waves in the world, so. Yeah. I, surfing there and you know basically on weekends but when i got older i um my dad would take me swimming training and then right next to the swimming pool was uh morton bay so yeah. i'd go out and paddle with my board and it gets pretty windy out there so i guess from a very early age i didn't even know it but i he'd get me to paddle one way and then i'd paddle back <laughs> I remember sometimes going oh, i don't want to paddle into the wind and but <laughs> realized if I didn't paddle into the wind, I couldn't come back. So <laughs> yeah. I think that might be, you know, even just talking about that now, it probably makes sense how I really got, um, enjoyed going downwind and surfing bumps. Yeah. So you started surfing bumps early. Cause I mean, I kind of look at my own self as a young kid doing junior lifeguards, you know, in Santa Cruz and California where I'm at. And I'd never even downwinded, man, until I was probably in my 30s. You just didn't, you didn't, you know, you just kind of stayed out of the water when it was windy, but you were fortunate where you had a dad who at the time you probably were cursing under your breath, I don't want to go paddle, it's windy. But looking back, man, you were riding, you've been riding wind bump for a long time. Yeah, that, that is it. You know, I look back on that now and it seems, it seems um, pretty, pretty ironic that that's how it started, but um, <laughs> Yeah, like now we don't paddle into it. <laughs> we get dropped. <laughs> That's right. Back, you know? But um, we probably should do a bit more paddling into it as well. But um, <laughs> That's not so fun though. <laughs> too, too, too old and too smart for that. <laughs> That's right. So a lot of paddling, a lot of surfing, growing up at the beach. But take us now through the point where you, at some point you got strong enough, um, both you know physically but also mentally with your skill that – and you found, I, I feel like, or I'm guessing, like a, a uh, an interest in training others. So where did you get to a point where you started sharing your knowledge? You must have had your own personal kind of achievements um, in surf lifesaving and Ironman and other things. So take us through that part as well. Yeah, I guess um, back then, and it seems, you know, people in Australia probably won't even remember, but the surf clubs really didn't have coaches then. And I was um, living in Brisbane still until I was um, 18, so... I would just go down to the local river and I looked at, um, I just did some training stuff. And from an early age, I've always believed in interval training. So hmm. I actually got a, um, New Zealand was the, um, the best kayak sort of country in the world at that time. And I just got a hold of uh, some information off 
those guys there, this guy called Brian McDonnell, and and basically developed my own sort of training from his from what they're doing because they're uh, back then they were doing about four minutes for a thousand meters. So okay. and the surf saving paddleboard race was out and around three buoys and back, and it was about four minutes as well. So I thought, oh well, this is you know the same sort of um, demand on the body. So I kind of structured my program from that, yeah. and I was pretty successful straight away because not many people were using that sort of sports science and. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just started paddling and then got other blokes. And it's funny, I, I think I, I'm very fortunate. I've always paddled with um, guys a lot younger than me, um, mainly because I'm old. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I had young guys and, and you know, we we were like winning pretty much all the divisions, you know, from under 15 right yeah, through to the wow. open. And, um, yeah, then the surf club said, oh, would you come and coach? So basically just rolled from there, I become a um, – got paid by a surf club to coach mm-hmm. uh, alongside my lifeguarding job. And, yeah, then uh, I guess the results sort of got the um, surf life-saving um, attention, became the, the state coach and advisor to the uh, Surf Life-Saving Australia for training program. So basically I just rolled it on from there, did more study and, um, yeah, became a level three, what they call a level three surf coach, which is done through the Australian Institute of Sport. Yeah. And, Basically, just self-taught from there. You know, I've spent a lot of time and money on doing cinema seminars, and uh, yeah, and I just, I just believe that there's really endless your ability. It doesn't matter how old you are, you can yeah. still improve. You know, or, or you know, at least maintain. Yeah, yeah. And so far, I've proven right. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Hundred percent. I mean, that's a big thing for all of us as we get like forties into fifties, and you've been, you know, ripping as a young guy or gal with your, your, your you're, you're bulletproof, you know, you don't ache in the morning, but it's like, how do you extend that longevity, you know? And I'll, I'd like to come back to that too, because I have a couple of questions for you on it. But, but then, so you're basically kind of this, you were naturally just like curious about how you can improve your own performance. You mentioned intervals, you saw the results of that. And then, so how did you kind of take that forward? Were you like, I don't know, like constantly trying to tweak and tune that training program for yourself and as you started to apply it to others like were you writing down when did you kind of get into like that it feels like there's a lot of data that you need to gather and collect and then analyze and look at to be able to tune those training programs so is that something that you you like doing uh, as you went through all this early on yeah totally and still do today like i I have new programs starting this year and it's twigged a little bit from last year last year we had a lot of success with um OC1 paddlers, you know, like hmm. a guy called Kai Bartlett, who yeah. who's an incredible athlete, and right. he's in his 40s now. And, he, and we had this conversation two years ago, and um, he was about to, you know, stop competing, and, you know, he got to know me, and I went, well, I don't know why you stopped competing. And, and anyway, he, he's, he's been doing the program a couple of years, and he's like, you know, when I look at world-class athletes in their 40s, yeah. he, he's incredible, that guy. Wow. Works, family man, the whole thing. So I... It's another part of the thing where I always believe that nothing's impossible if you can manage your time and yeah and yeah and 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 just do quality training that's um, going to keep you in 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 the game for longevity. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Right on, man. So you kept kept training, surf coach. You kept kind of doing like you mentioned on your own um, certifications and then um, you know seminars and everything. And then when did you first? sort of bring or start getting athletes at that sort of higher like world world stage like um athletes 
either world Ironman competitions or like Molokai to Oahu, um, you know, in higher, that, the highest level of competition? Yeah, I think, well, back then there was an Ironman series called the Uncle Toby's Ironman series. Okay. And yep. there was athletes. I was coaching athletes through our club, the, the local mm. club. And because of it, it was such good uh, money and would be good money today. Um, the, I had athletes come from Sydney and stuff that moved to the Gold Coast that want to train in the group that I had. So we had, um, you know, the best male and the best female uh, Ironman in the world training with in my group. So the group got quite large, you know, it stages up to like 40 people. And, uh, you know, they were racing for like $20,000 most weekends through summer. And yeah. Sponsors up to I know one lady I was coaching. She had a sponsorship of a hundred thousand dollars a year, and uh, you know, incredible money for these days. You know, yeah. there's an Ironman series now that's um, sort of rejuvenated, but you know, they're racing for you know very little bits of money, and yeah, it's, it's right. not it's not really what professional. But these guys were professional, and and it's still the icons of that Uncle Toby series are. Are pretty much out there as professional, you know, uh, media, and they're all you know, all over the world, you know, doing very successful. You know, Craig Hummer was one, one of the Californians. He came and trained with us for a period, but leading into the Uncle Toby's, and he's probably uh, the you know the Californians sort of um, p- 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 pinup boy at that stage yeah. as, well, as well. Yeah, I guess through the profession, you know, when money, money's involved and people are making money out of it, you get a bit of recognition or notification. Right. Yeah, and pretty much once that finished, I kept coaching, you know, because I, I, I just like to see people succeed, really. And, you know, it's obviously there's an ego thing going, well, you know, we've got the Australian board champ, the Australian female champ, the Ironman champ, the whole thing. So, yeah, that, that and that still goes on today in the surf lifesaving clubs. You know, they're all competing against each other for the, the, the top um, sort of training group and yeah. club. And it just that's really where it, where it all started and then, yeah, once the lifeguard thing happened in 1990, I sort of fell really deeply in love with the distance paddling and um, right. getting a bit older as I was. I, I, you know, I read a lot of stuff that you know your endurance can go right through your you know late 40s and stuff. So I uh, I wanted to compete on the highest level and still do, and um, also have young guys come up and you know win, you know try and win the race and. And every year, you know, I always have someone in the top uh, top end of the race, so it's kind of rewarding. I, you know, I, I have a win-win situation. I get to do yeah. the race. <laughs> Watch the young guys um, battle it out. Yeah, that's fun, man. That you do get to see, um, you know, both ends of the spectrum. Your own, your own self competing and training, and then other, others live in the living, enjoying the stoke of others as they, you know, strive and then uh, compete, you know, and succeed. And one of the questions I'm curious to get your thoughts on is, so. I'm, I'm imagining you're, you know, I've, I've looked at justpaddling.com, your website, and we'll, I'll touch on it in a minute, but you know, there, I, I could come to you and say, Hey, look, I'm a sprint guy. I do, you know, races like sprint races and you could develop a training program for me. I could come to you, Mick, and say, Hey, I'm going to do Molokai next year. That's three or two miles. And you could develop a training program for me. And that's like, you know, the physical parts of how do I get my body tuned up? But for those distance races, there's another pers- aspect of success, right? And you know this after doing so many, is that mental game as well. So do you impart and share any knowledge and or training learnings with your endurance, quote unquote, endurance athletes who do long distance things who might very likely hit that 
black hole, you know, people say the dark place or whatever it is mentally during those events? A hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, I, um, a couple of years ago I was struggling getting going and I uh, met a guy um, here just down the coast a bit who's really uh, like really good with this sort of stuff and does with a lot of the endurance triathletes. And yeah. Um, we had, we, he was getting into surf ski paddling and so he helped me and I helped him and then from there I referred a young young fellow I was coaching to him who just was his parents said ah he doesn't want to do it anymore and he's like this and that and and I learn as I go along you know when we put a hard set up and you can look at the you know the the grief on the faces of the of the people training and yeah. I, I, I kind of remember the same thing you feel you feel it and you see it and right. it kind of reminds well you know it isn't going to kill you it's only going to make you stronger so you're kind of like just relaxing and, and actually I, I always use the thing so if it's hurting it's hurting the other people as well so you better yeah. <laughs> and enjoy the pain because the pain you know will stop when you stop so it's best just to keep pushing through and i yeah, it, it's there's no really you know there's a lot of old, old cliches about you know you know if there's no no pain, no gain, and yeah. stuff like that. You know, if you, I, I go once the pain comes in, and for me it's like around three hours in the channel, yep. and the pain comes in, and you start to doubt yourself, the whole thing, and and I know for sure that's where a lot of people hit that three hour, three and yeah. a half hour, all at the four hour wall. But um, I I never we and we used to wait for four hours. I remember with Jamie and that, and another friend of mine who actually just texted me right then, Jackson. <laughs> A couple of um, seconds and thirds. We used to talk about the four hour, and and I thought about it, and I thought, what are you waiting for the four hour thing? It's only a, it's a march. It's just a it's like another hurdle, but yeah, you still got to get to the two hour and three hour. And a lot of times we sort of, um, I think that's why my record stood for so long. It's like after nineteen ninety seven, it was like we sort of paddled, kind of watching each other as a group and uh, waiting to start going. Yeah. And, yeah, because it was like eight eight years before Jamie took that record down, and yeah, you know, it's come down quite a bit since then. But right. I think we were all pretty much at the top of our game. We kind of watched each other, and we really didn't just look at the water or what I call now. And what the answer topic to this question is just stay in the process. Yeah, and for the process is right in front of the nose of the board, and you know you link all those processes together, and all of a sudden you're you're at China walls. So right, right. That's a great perspective. And it's one of the, like my, I've having so many conversations on the podcast. There's a lot of different themes that kind of pop up every other, you know, every now and then. And, and this was one of them being one of my favorite as well. I'll admit that sort of that, that black, you know, that, that dark place. And you mentioned that three hour, the four hour wall. And it's cool because, and, and I'm actually been threatening to do this. I haven't, it's kind of summarized. I think I probably got five or six perspectives now of pe- of how people have gotten through that. Um, in Molokai specifically in the channel and it is everything from like singing to um, uh, looking for the animals like seeing a bird or something else and really focusing on it to like having these like dialogues like inner monologues with yourself you know it's really cool to hear like another perspective which is this is going to end is the sooner you get there (laughs) so just focus on getting there and then you'll get through it you know (laughs) Yeah, 100%. It's like that singing that you said, and it's like, you know, all the self-taught and stuff and that. I find when I am um, when I start singing the music that I normally paddle with um, headphones on, yeah. when I'm singing the music, because you're kind of like, 
you're there, but you're not there. So right. it's like, and I go, oh, I was just singing to that song. Yeah. That means I'm in a good place. You yeah, know? that's I, right. <laughs> it's really your subconscious mind that's telling you that, you know, you're hurting or you need to stop the whole thing. So you just um, put that put that way, way to the back and just stay stay in the, in the moment, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Now, Another aspect of what you've been up to, which isn't quite as easy to, to see. So if I, I'm looking at you on Instagram, I could Google you up. I'm looking at your website and everything. There's another aspect that I actually didn't know um, until I spoke with you know, our mutual friend, Pete Sterling. I called him up yesterday, who was like the most readily available mutual friend we have. Just to say, hey, I'm talking to Mick. Any stories, any thoughts, just other you know, bits of information. One of the things he mentioned that I, I would like to hear from you is, You've done a ton um, of innovation around board design um, and specifically for SUPs and everything. So, so let me kind of switch over to that. So first question then is when did you, what was your first exposure to SUP being a prone guy? You know, here's all of a sudden SUP at some point. How did you first get involved with it? And then take us through how you started tweaking and tuning the actual design of these boards. Yeah, well, that, that, that's another part of my life that I don't really do that much at the moment. But, um, yeah, well, it was after Molokai. We, we finished Molokai in July, and um, Jamie said to me, oh, they've got this uh, SUP race in California called the Battle of the Paddle. They ran it last year, and they had all these people. It sounds pretty fun. He goes, we should um, make some boards and go over and do it. And I went, oh, yeah, that sounds like a challenge because once we finish Molokai, it's um, – Pretty much, you know, not, we don't really ha- have that much on. on. Yeah. We weren't doing fly saving then, and um, yeah, we came back and um, I uh, with with my longtime friend and uh, shaper surfboard shaper Dick Van Straan. I said, oh, we need to make um, these SUPs. They're twelve foot six. Um, you know, I'm not sure if you know, but all all the boards and actually, I'm getting a new surfboard today from him. They run on concaves, and mm-hmm. I really believe that uh, you know if you're going to push a board or a craft along with your arms. It's got to be on top of the water, not in it. So right. I just have a firm belief in concaves. So yeah, we designed this board, and it's quite a funny story. We we made the first one and took it down to the creek where we still train today. And I was standing on the water there, and uh, Jamie got on it and started paddling it, and he's looked at me and he's given me full thumbs down. <laughs> I can't paddle it it's too tippy and I went oh my god and we brought it back in and I looked at it and um, anyway long story short like the fin was too in the wrong spot mm. so I moved the fin box completely 12 inch fin box forward more and um, no sorry we moved it back we moved it back we had it right up like a surfboard so we moved it right back and and uh, two days later took it out and he just Gave me the full thumbs up. Going, you can't believe it, how much stable it is. Anyway, I left him there and he paddled down uh, six kilometres down the road to Burley and I picked him up there and he goes, mate, the thing goes amazing. Oh. And uh, Anyway, so that was 28 inches wide, which you wouldn't even take one into a race these days. Right. So we, we went back. He paddled on that. We made two more, but we made them 26 wide. And, um, yeah, Jamie ended up winning – uh, the Battle of Paddle. Uh, another girl that I was coaching, she actually paddled that very first board, 28. She won that day, and we teamed up and we won the had a relay there, and we won the relay. So we <laughs> won the three events in the Battle of Paddle on these boards, and 
yeah, Surf Tech fronted us right there on the beach and wanted to buy. So, yeah, that was part of it, yeah. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. It was funny. So just to kind of talk about the design a little bit, like what you're saying, and and I kind of got educated a little bit as I looked into this before, but like everybody was paddling those, what they call displacement holes, as you're mentioning. These boards go through the water, and you're like, well, shouldn't we go on top of the water? And you really kind of innovated the planing hole, which is more on top, you know. Um, but it was just fun talking to Pete yesterday because he told a, a similar tale of Battle of the Paddle. I think it was 2009 where he's like, yeah, Mick showed up with like five people from Australia and you know, some guys and a girl and, you know, and all the teams. That's when SUP was just like, you know, the whole industry was just cranky. And there was, he's like, yeah, there was, you know the infinity team had 20 people and surf tech had 15 people. And it was like, you know, everything you guys rolled in on these boards and just basically smoked, most, <laughs> smoked everybody. You know, he said it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Pete was a big part of that. You know, that's when I actually met Pete and, um, yeah, we hit it off. He's such a great guy. And, um, he, he was just exactly like you said, he was laughing at it because he, you know, he'd been in the industry over yeah. there for a long time and he knew most of the people and, they were all coming up to him, oh, you know these guys, and it was pretty funny, you know, like you, know, you probably wouldn't get that these days because of the <laughs> things that developed. But, yeah, you can see sort of my design or our design in the paddleboard in um, a lot of different big buck brands these days, and uh, yeah, I often have a little chuckle. And, yeah. You know, yeah, especially I remember last the year before last, a guy was explaining to me the design. Yeah. <laughs> really interesting here his, <laughs> his comments on the design but anyway i walked away and had a bit of a laugh but yeah, it, it, it's um it's it's really you know, rewarding to see you know i see boards around now and i was really um good thing on design talking uh, last year i for the first time i didn't make my own board for molokai and i mm. it's too it's too much work to get one made here and get it shipped over and yeah a whole lot of so yeah i just uh, I ended up talking with Joe Bark. I've known Joe for a long time, and I was, um, yeah, we 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 had conversation on the phone and a couple of emails, and he made me this most beautiful board that I've, um, yeah, I wish I would have had ten years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I probably would have had a bit better, but um, yeah, beautiful board, super light, incredible finish. You know, Joe Bark, and yeah, uh, yeah, so accommodating for 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 me. You know, after all these years, and yeah, we've got a good strong relationship and i actually had a really good result on the board last year so it's it's sort of like you know that's another reason why i just believe you can always um can continue to improve you know yeah just gotta find the right uh people to have around you that's a that's like the key part man i agree with you is the people around you who motivate you and just and you who draw motivation from you but also support you with a board you know a board or a boat or I forgot my wetsuit or whatever that is. You know, it, it's super key. But talk about that, man. So last year in 2018, you know, the Molokai uh, Channel Crossing, that race was tough. You know, I, I didn't – I had a, a couple friends in it. We are tracking them online and everything. And I was just watching going, dude, this has got to be a slow event because these guys are not gaining ground. So how was it for you? You said you had a good finish. Um, talk about that, the, the water out there last year. Yeah, well, you know, everything was set up with the tide perfect. Um, yeah. The trades were there, you know, like moderate trade winds. So it was it was all set for a really good time. And, um, you know, the top guys were looking at knocking down the record again. And, 
I did actually, once again, one of my very knowledgeable friends in Hawaii goes, oh, have you seen this, you know, and, and it was the ocean currents. Hmm. And I had looked at it in the past, but not, you know, like things are getting so much more technical. I looked at it and went, geez, that doesn't look too good. <laughs> and if, the, the week before, we, we went out and did a couple of little paddles through, um, through Hanama Bay, which is kind of the roughest water you can ever get in the world close yep. to the land. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So I, I saw the current was going against us, and I went, okay, well, I'm going to go out there and test this um, this computer model. And I went out there, and sure enough, we were just standing. I took a couple of young guys out there, and yeah, it nearly broke us. You know, no one way. hour broke us. So I went, oh, maybe this thing works. And I didn't want to dampen anyone's enthusiasm on the day, but I was kind of <laughs> mentally ready for a tough battle. Uh. Everyone was. Really excited, and um, yeah, I was just—I uh, was in—I think I was in pretty good shape, and just been—I was main about to maintain a good pace the whole way, and yeah, it was like my slowest in 22 crossings. It was my slowest time ever. Wow! And and uh, you know, I ended up with a sixth place overall with five young guys in front of me. So, jeez, man, that's awesome. And two of them were one that I coached, so I was kind of like, well, we must have been, you know, on the same mindset and, and we were in good shape. But, yeah, some guys were, like, you know, pretty much busted after that race. And there was a few dropouts, too, of some yeah. high-profile battlers. So yep. it's it's the beauty of the Molokai Channel, you know. It can it can, it can can really um, test you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's one way to put it. Yeah, they could break you down and <laughs> definitely test you, man. So did you take, after you felt that current, you know, you went out there a week in advance with some guys. You felt that you saw it. Did it Did it help dictate your line across? Yeah, it totally did. It totally did. I normally, uh, so I don't know what you call it, traditional. I always normally take a, like a north line. Yeah. And, um, and then you can get in and what they call get in under the current. But I actually took a straighter line this time. And um, because of that current, I thought, okay, well, the current's there. I want to cross it where I figure it's going to be at its narrowest. Oh. And yeah, it was really interesting because you know you get once again, no matter how much time you give yourself self doubt. I was in, into it, and uh, my wife was telling me I was like top ten, and you know you believe it or you don't believe it. But yeah. Kai Lent went past me at about a hundred miles an hour on his foil board. <laughs> okay, on the right line. So, <laughs> yeah, another one of those things that gives you that little bit of lift and yeah kai went by and just hooting as he went by on his foil so i sure. i knew i was was in a reasonably good patch of water you know? yeah yeah so oh man that's cool so 22 year 22 years of 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 doing that race and it's one that it is probably the gnarliest in the world maybe there's other paddleboard races i'm not aware of that are, are more gnarlier but i'd like to hear about them but so tie that back to that longevity thing we were talking about you know as you one of your things all of us too is just you know how how can you maintain a level of health to keep you just doing being in the water you know um and so what's your kind of i don't know approach to that mick you know i mean it, from everything from you know diet to just you know the mental aspect, etc. How do you kind of go about that? Well, I think number one thing is this passion. You know, mm. you want to want to have the passion. Uh, I just love being out on that channel. So I know to to actually enjoy it, you've got to put the work in. But I think, like any training program, it's consistency. If you if you consistently do something, you know, whether you want to run, swim, 
walk, whatever, if you consistently get up and, and do the do some sort of uh, paddle, well, let's talk about paddling, you know, I, I, I swear by it and, you know, I work and with Olympic kayakers, um, I work in my job as a lifeguard with them and we talk and we, we're basically doing the same thing, you know, we're, right. we're Olympic athletes and I just, yeah, I do three interval sessions a week and I do them on the same day every week and I have, a, you know, fortunately I have a, like anywhere from, 10 to 30 people paddle with us and um, they're my SUP paddlers uh, from 15-year-old girls to like 70-year-old guys. So we all are doing the same thing consistently and it just keeps ticking by and it's like I think you just put one layer on another layer, another layer and, um, yeah, it doesn't take too long to get back into to top shape if you're just consistently doing something. Right. Uh, you know, and, and when I – don't uh, paddle. I, I swim, so I, cons I, I consistently change that session from paddling to swimming. So yeah. my boss kind of knows. Oh, okay, it's Monday. It's five o'clock. This is what we're going to do. Mm. I really believe that. And I've read a lot of stuff about that, and um, people that pick. It's like that diet. You know, the what do they call it? The boomerang diet or something. Yeah. People diet, and then they. Oh yeah, I lost three kilo, but I put five on after I stopped it. So right. <laughs> kind of like that mentality. I go if you just keep laying down, you know, even if it's just you go through the motions like I'm kind of doing now with my training group, I'll just go down on my 17-footer and just, um, you know, might be training zone four and I'll be just ticking it over training zone three, just cruising along, talking to the guys and stuff like that. So I'm not really – I'm just sort of like in a standing zone right now and I'll start training for Molokai in February, which is only a few weeks. But uh, I guess once I start training, it's, it's more the mind changes than – the actual physical, like I, I put it, start putting the sessions in and yeah. I can, you know, log them and, you know, and sort of look where I'm at from last year. And I like any training program, try and improve like 3% to 5% every year just to maintain a level right. of competitiveness. So, yeah, I just think consistency and passion, really. Yeah. You know, yeah, man. But also, you're like, you mentioned like 3%, 5%. So you're, you're quantifying sort of your gains. So how do you do that? So if you're saying, look, year to year, you know, you're getting older and just, you know, you're not as strong just cause, but if you can keep improving three to 5%, you can still maintain a really a level that you're really happy with. So how do you gauge or, or kind of quant measure that three to 5%? Uh, okay. So like with technology and stuff, you know, with all the gum watches and stuff like yeah. that. And I devised a, uh, a test that it's like a functional threshold uh, pace test. Um, that they, they use a lot of it with power in cycling, but I converted it over to paddling. So I, I know what speed I can hold in the flat uh, water. Gotcha. Basically, how I started is like, oh, well, if I can paddle a thousand meters in um, six minutes, then I can paddle 10 kilometers an hour. And then if I can, and that's how I sillyly started the Molokai. I went, oh, I reckon I can do it in five hours and 12. Yeah. That was 10 kilometers an hour, uh -huh. you know? And uh, and when you think about it, it's it's uh, yeah it's like 32 miles like 52 kilometers so that's you know six minutes a kilometer it works out to about five hours and 12 minutes and and pretty much every winning time has been either side of that five hours and 12 so yeah I think the average hmm. winning time for the Molokai is you know you, you definitely need to paddle 10 kilometers an hour so right. I always use that as like a, I've used that since 1997 as a reference point. And uh, when people ask me, you know, oh, I can do this or do that, it's like, yeah, like I always say, well, 
you know, a lot of people, majority of paddlers can paddle 10 kilometers in an hour and then 20% of them can paddle, you know, three hours at that pace. Right. And about 5% of people can paddle that for um, 50 kilometers, you know. Mm -hmm. So just, yeah, just having that sort of, you know, like your car, you know, I yeah. have a Garmin water my water bottle holder and I just watch the clock, you know, and I take, we use five training zones. So training zone three is what I call the um, threshold pace. So when, I, when I'm doing training zone three, I want to be looking at, you know, sub 10 kilometers an hour. And, that, and that's how I know if I'm, yeah. if I'm improving or I'm not improving, you know? Yeah, that's cool, man. I really dig that because I think having like that kind of feedback of your, your, your training is really helpful and I'm not good at it. I mean, I have a, like a Garmin watch and do some interval stuff that a friend of mine, Nick Frank, who's done Molokai a bunch, um, he's turned me on to, and it is so like versus, you know, what I used to do, like so many people do is you paddle and you surf and you surf a bunch and then you'll just get in your paddle board and go paddle for two hours. And you feel like, oh, okay, I pulled, you know, whatever, eight miles or 10 miles. And you kind of just keep increasing. I'll go 12 and 14. But I noticed when I started doing um, kind of more timed measurements of like from point this buoy to that buoy, which I know was, you know, some distance, whatever, 500 meters. And I timed it. And you can track yourself over time improving or not. It's just the feedback is it's much more rewarding. You know, it's easy like when you can quantify the results you're getting from your work. It just, I don't know, it really kind of helps keep, get you more excited for it, at least for me. Yeah, totally. That's what it's all about, progression. That's what people ask me. Oh, okay, so you go at that speed, but how do you feel? You know, yeah. like you just go, oh, I feel great. I did that paddle from that buoy to buoy, and I did it in four seconds quicker, and right. I felt, but it felt way easier, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, that's what I, I use the Garmin as the no lies tell you what you, what's actually happening, but it's how I feel because when I go out into the Molokai channel, it's not, I'm not really looked trying to hold speed to the, to the watch. I'm just how, feeling it, holding speed to how I feel. Right. And the, right. Watch this, um, yeah, sometimes I actually turn up and I did last year, I turned it away from the speed because the speed was so slow right you didn't want to see it <laughs> so i just felt it and, and I, I really believe that's you know you, you use the gadgets to quantify what you're doing and then you look back and you know that's that's sort of like can tell you exactly what's going on but it's how you feel you know right totally yeah. yeah yeah 100 percent, man so then talk about tell us you know about just paddling.com, you know, that's your biz, that's your training, you know, program. So, so talk about how, how do you start that and what can people, you know, expect to find there, you know? Well, you can thank Pete Sterling for that. Cause he, oh, he's said, he goes, you should, you should get a website and sell these programs. You shouldn't just be giving them all the way. And I went, ah, oh, you know, I just, just like to have people to paddle with, but yeah. And then, um, I guess Pete had a few few friends, and yeah, we basically started like that. And yeah, it's it's got it's it's, it's still a hobby, you know. I'm a lifeguard, and yeah. uh, that's my job. But it's still a hobby, and you know, it's like connects me with all the people. Like I have emails today right. um, from over California, and guys are you know, and it's really good because they're actually guys you know in their forties and fifties, you know, that are um, really interested in maintaining or improving or you know, I want to do the Molokai and stuff like that. So through the website and my training programs, it connects connects me with really, really awesome people. And, uh, you know, you get uh, every 
50 people, someone who doesn't really like it or, yeah. you know, uh, doesn't work for them. But it's just, I, I, I get better at uh, sort of explaining it and that too. And it's a lot of people, uh, It's it, you know, I can say, you know, do 10 three minutes with this or that, whatever, but it's how, how you do it, you know, like, um, you know, how it's actually executed is what makes all the difference, you know, and I think through my experience of what I feel and watching the young guys that are winning the races that train with me, well, I kind of work it out that, yeah, okay, well, maybe that's the best way to do it, you know, so always learning and passing it on to see, you know, especially at Molokai, I'll see, you know, 10 or 15 people that I've never even met yeah. that have been doing the training program and I, I I don't, you know, I don't even know. Oh, they'll come up and go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And, you know, of course I know their name but I don't know their face. But, sure. Um, it, it's, you know, that's that's like my bonus, you know, at the yeah. end of the end. Go there and meet these guys and, and, and hopefully they all have an awesome experience in the channel. And, yeah, there, there's a million other races out there but, yeah, you know, like you said, there's not no no test like the Molokai Channel. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, man. But how rewarding too. Like I get it, man. How neat uh, your effort goes into uh, while you have fun and enjoy hearing stories and meeting new people around the world who are doing your you know you're helping you know which is there's a ton of value in that. And then to see them actually on the day of an event like a Molokai and just be like you know so stoked that they you know that you've helped them out. That's that's super rewarding, you know. Um, but what uh, it's it's cool because when I just kind of, again, I found it myself just recently as I was, you know, preparing to talk to you. And I just look back, man, when I did Molokai in 2011, you know, I had a couple of buddies in Santa Cruz who had just done it and they just did it, right? Like that's pretty much what most people do. You just, you, you paddle a bunch of miles and you go out there and that's that. And I was like, hey, how do I train for this thing? And, you know, the resources available for figuring out a training program for paddling it's like slim. There is nothing. And I was like looking at endurance running, you know, long distance running Ironmans. And I was like, that kind of makes sense. That doesn't make sense, you know, and trying to piece something together and just the best I can come up with it was like that, like that plateauing thing that like the step up and the plateau and thing. And I don't know that did anything, but this is so cool, man. Like I look back and I'm, I'm my mind's spinning because, you know, I have, my kids are 16 uh, he's into paddling. My daughters are super into paddling. They're 13 and, and you know, they're competing during lifeguards. I'm like, man, I'd like to get them, them. They'd probably be down on this to like really get t- tuned up, man. So you're providing a pretty rad valuable service dude, that does not exist <laughs> anywhere else. Myself, it sort of seems second nature, but, um, yeah, they, they, you know, the principles are very similar, you know, like I've always, I look at the kayaking because we have the Institute of Kayaking right here and I work with two of the Olympians yeah. as life things. So we get to feedback all the time and, yeah, basically I, you know, we keep up with whatever is available and there's a lot of stuff comes available after every Olympics, which I've learned over the years. So I just keep up with that and, you know, triathlons really put a lot of money into sports science. So right. you just keep on and, and um it's it's all similar but yeah i guess experience on the water you know some things you've yeah. got to take out and um they aren't, uh, aren't sort of equivalent to running or, or, or kayaking you know like yeah. kayaking they have very little resistance <laughs> you know they, they don't even paddle if the wind's four knots <laughs> right 100 <laughs> percent, man 
Yeah. So, a few variables that you've got to consider. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so so Mick, how about what's next, man? As we kind of wind down here, kind of any big plans? You know, what's next for you? Uh, anything, anything major or really cool? Yeah, uh, I like it's it's just starts ramping up. I've got lots of interest from. Um, about paddling and in, in, in from California and, and Joe Bark said it's the busiest he's ever been wow. with prone paddling. So yep. it's the prone paddling's really taken another leap forward. I think the SUP's sort of taking a step back and I think people have come back to prone or they've decided prone's something they'd rather do. And I just think paddling in general has really um, taken another step forward. And uh, yeah, I think between Joe and, and a couple of the guys in California, George Plasek and that, Yep. And they come come there this July and we'll do some, um, I don't like to call it paddling clinics, but it will be paddling clinics, but mostly just talk story and um, cool. this podcast, you know, and maybe this podcast will be something that we can, uh, it will reach out to people just to talk story about prone paddling and, uh, cool. and remember some of the, you know, the Mike Eatons and all these yeah. people that have their lives into prone paddling that, kind of um, took me and Jamie Mitchell in when we went to California for so many years and yep. just basically uh, celebrate the, the traditional prone paddling. And I think I'm kind of excited about spending a week in, in California before Molokai to do that. But yeah, yeah some um, big guns coming to win the Molokai again that are going to be training with me, young young boys and girls. So cool. Like it just keeps going. You know, it's just like the football season is about to start. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of excited, yeah, to see what's, you know, like I said, every time you go there, you don't know what to expect. We've had it dead flat yep. a couple of times and, and, <laughs> and mountainous other times. But, yeah, that's what, you know, like like I said, just paddling, that's kind of what we do, you know. Yeah, that's cool, man. Well, 100%. Well, Mick, I appreciate all you've done for the sport, you know. Um, it's impacted me and just seeing you do where you – the le- competing – seeing how you're competing at the level you are – you know, with, you know, after having done it for 22 years, it's inspirational to me um, and so many others as well. And just the stories that you've shared today. And uh, it's just thank you for your time, man, and for sharing. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity to speak, Josh. And um, yeah, I'd love to catch up with you guys again and maybe, yeah, maybe this year. Yeah, I might be able to come check you out and Southern Cal with the, that Southern Cal crew. I know all those guys, they come up and do up to Santa Cruz and do a. Uh, uh, Joe comes up every year and does our, we have a downwinder, a 14 mile downwinder and George and, you know, Steve Schlenz and just all those guys come up. So it's a great sort of, uh, crew, you know, the paddling community and then all those guys down there are such a great community, you know, warming bunch, you know? So, uh, yeah, you'll have fun. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, there's sort of things that I, you know, I haven't even done yet. And I was, uh, close to doing that paddle last year with the guys. Oh, cool. So, yeah. That's still something I need to do. And nice. who knows Get Pete Sterling out there. I know, man. We need to. He's he's been too dry, man. He's get he's locked into family mode, but that's all right. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> all right, Mick. Hey, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon, mate. Okay, Josh. Thank you, mate. Okay. Bye. Cheers. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, please, you know, uh, hype us up on social media. Always appreciate, you know, spreading the word. Uh, give us a nice little rating on the uh, your podcast app and uh, just keep tuning in. If you're interested in being on the show and sharing some of your life stories, 
uh, hit me up, josh at thisoceanlife.tv. You can PM me on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Anyway, thanks again for being here and uh, have a great day.